Today, on the uh, Spiritual Warfare series, we're going to be looking at resisting the temptations of the devil. And I want to get straight in, because a bit behind time today. What's the basic sin of the devil? The basic sin of the devil we looked at over the last few weeks is pride. Pride. Pride was what made the devil fall. We know in 1 Timothy 3 verse 6, sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 6, talking about putting somebody in a position of authority. And Paul says to Timothy, 1 Timothy 3 6, and not a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with pride and fall into the condemnation of the devil. So there, what uh, Paul is saying is, be careful when you put somebody in authority, because if you put them in authority too soon, if they're not ready for it, then they might get proud, they might get arrogant, and he says, and that's exactly what the main sin of the devil was. And so we know that's the chief thing. We looked at um, the Isaiah and Ezekiel passages um, that spoke about Satan's five I wills and all that. It was last week and the week before. Now, God hates pride. If there's one thing that God hates, it's pride. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13 speaks about to fear the Lord and to hate evil. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. And then, quote, I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. And then Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And so when we're speaking about the temptations of the devil, and how the devil will come and tempt us or test us, we can be pretty sure that one of the major ways that he tries to bring us down or to get a place in our lives is through pride. If we go to Matthew chapter 4, we see the famous temptations of Jesus uh, by Satan. If you turn to that, please. We know that Jesus has been baptized by John and the Holy Spirit comes upon his life. And the first thing that happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus is that the Holy Spirit thrusts him out into the wilderness, and there he is tempted by the devil. Now, to say that Jesus was tempted by the devil isn't quite correct, because the word, or the usual word for tempt, in the New Testament, the New Testament was written in Greek, the usual word, the, the word for tempt can also mean test. And so you have to look at, uh, look at the context to see, is the word tempt, or is it test? So it shouldn't really be the temptation of Jesus, but the testing of Jesus. Why? Because there wasn't anything inside Jesus to be tempted. James chapter 1 tells us that we as sinful human beings, when we're tempted, we're tempted by our own lusts, that fallen part of us that's inside us, the flesh that's pulling us towards sin. But Jesus didn't have any flesh. He was the perfect man. So it wasn't that, that Satan was looking to see where Jesus' uh, temptations were on the inside and try and play on those. No, it wasn't a temptation. It was more of a testing. You know when you talk about testing someone's metal? Or somebody wants to, to test themselves in the gym with a new weight? or they want to test a new car that's been made, or, or a new electrical appliance needs to be tested. 
And so they, they test it under different types of pressures and different types of tests to see its integrity, to see if it's strong enough. Well, that's what Satan was doing to Jesus. He was testing him. And Jesus came through that test. But if we look at these tests, we get a glimpse into how Satan tries to bring us into temptation. He'll test us too, that is true, but he'll also seek to tempt us, seek to inflame those aspects of our flesh or our fallen nature that, that seeks to pull us away from God. And of course, when we look at these temptations, it says, now when the tempter or the tester came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. But Jesus answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds through the mouth of God. Now, in these temptations or tests that Satan brings Jesus, what is he trying to do? You'll, you'll see that he is trying to get Jesus to become self-centered, proud, self-sufficient, and to use his authority and power for his own ends. This is why you don't want somebody that's not mature in a leadership position, because if they're not mature, they'll become proud. They will use their authority, uh, not for other people's benefit through servant leadership, but they will use their authority for their benefit. They will lord it over people. They will put their themselves in a position of power and glory. And so here, the first test here is, he says, look, you're hungry, you've been fasting for 40 days and for 40 nights. Jesus was, was in a place where he was absolutely starving. And the devil says, if you're the son of God, in other words, if you have authority, if you have power, if you have strength, then prove it by meeting your own need. Turn these stones into bread. It was a great test because Jesus was very hungry. The same test or temptation that comes to it, that us is that we would use our abilities, our God-given abilities, our God-given calling, any spiritual authority that we have, in whatever way that might be, and that can be your spiritual authority in the home as the head of the house. It can be a cell leader. It, it can be a, a minister. It, it can be at work. It can be any authority, because all authority comes from God, not just spiritual authority. But if you are a boss at work or a manager at work, then uh, God holds you responsible for how you manage people that are under you. And the first test or temptation was to use your position to meet your own need. This is one of the great examples of Jesus. He says, I haven't come to do my own will. I haven't come, I've come to do the will of my father. I'm not going to do anything unless my father tells me to do it. He was completely 100% in submission. This is very important for us when we're talking about resisting the temptations of the devil, because we're going to see, hopefully by the end of today, that passage in James chapter 4, where it says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee, to, flee from you. Why did the devil continuously flee from Jesus? Why, did he, why was he continuously beaten? And why could he never get to Jesus? Because Jesus was in full submission to his Father's will. All authority he'd been given, all power he'd been given, he didn't use for his own gain, but to serve the Father 
and to serve those that he'd been sent to save. He was in submission to the Father, and because he was in submission, the devil couldn't get to him. This is one of the great temptations and tests of the believer's life, in whatever situation that you're in, to be able to walk in submission. Not just submission directly to God, but also submission to those that are legitimately in spiritual authority over you. Uh, if you find it difficult to walk in submission to your spiritual leaders, there's a great uh, opportunity for the devil to get into your life and, uh, and build a foothold through that pride or that lack of, lack of submission. It's the same in the workplace or in the college place. If you don't give full, fully, if you don't properly respect or submit to, to the government or to those that you're under in a godly way, and uh, in Ephesians, we find that Paul says, you know, those slaves submit to masters. In other words, when your boss tells you to do something, you, you should do it. Hus wives submit to husbands. Uh, submit to, and here is Jesus in submission. And so he didn't use his power for his own self. You notice also that the way that Jesus dealt with these temptations or testings of the devil is that he wielded the Ephesians 6 sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Remember, if you were with us in the first session, you can always catch up on the internet, on kt.org. On the first session, we looked at Ephesians chapter 6, and we mentioned the whole armor of God to stand against the wiles or the schemes of the devil. And we have the shield of faith and the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, and the shoes of the gospel. But the one offensive weapon that we have is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And here, Jesus is dealing with the devil. He, could, he didn't zap him with supernatural electric power. They didn't fight with lightsabers or pistols, but... They both acknowledged the authority of the word, as we'll see. And so Jesus, he, he just said, it is written. It is written. The most powerful weapon that you have against the devil's schemes and his attacks on your life is the Holy Spirit upon the word of God in your mouth. It is written. And so when you feel a test or a temptation of the devil in some area of your life, Remember, sometimes temptations have got nothing to do with the devil. It's, it's your, your own desires that you're needing to deal with. And that's another story. You have to crucify the flesh. But when the enemy comes and tries to get in your, in your mindset, then it's the word of God in your mouth. Speak the truth. If only Adam and Eve, during their testing and temptation, if only they had spoken back to them and said, God has said, serpent that if we eat of this fruit, we shall die. Therefore, we shall not eat of the fruit, because God has said. And the devil said to them, did God say? First of all, he put the doubt on God's word. That's what Satan will try and do in our lives. He'll try to make us doubt God's word, and we'll be thinking, well, I don't know if I'd go this way, if I'm obedient to God's word, whether it's going to benefit me. Will it benefit me? Will it benefit me if I go God's way? Well, I'm not sure. Maybe it'd be better if I went my way. Or, and, and there's doubt on the, on the word of God. That's where you've got to be strong. That's where you've got to speak to yourself. That's where you've got to pray and speak to the enemy. Did God say? And then what did the devil do? 
He said to them, you shall surely not die. In other words, when doubt comes into the word of God, you can be sure that Satan's at the source of it. And also, when, he's, when he says the absolute opposite, no, go ahead and live your life in a fleshly manner. You'll love it. Did God say that it will go bad for you? Look at everybody else out there. They're having a great time. This is how the devil works. And so Jesus, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And then the devil says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. And then he misused scripture. He shall give his angels charge over you. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God, or test the Lord your God. And so the first one is the temptation is to use our giftings and our abilities and our positions and our anointings for self-gain. To put ourselves first and to turn whatever we've got into bread for our souls. Use our, use our position. The second one here is presumption. And uh, all these tests are to tempt Jesus not to go the way of the cross, submission or sacrifice. And so the devil's saying, why don't, you, why don't you just throw yourself off the temple? Why don't you do this big, incredible act? If you're the son of God, then demonstrate it with this amazing miracle. Everybody will talk about it. Everybody will, will say how amazing you are. And, and, and here is the temptation to be flashy. The temptation to shortcut the way of Calvary and, and go the quickest route to success. If Jesus had thrown himself off the temple and the angels had caught him, and then he would have immediately been successful. He would have been renowned. He'd have been known. He'd have had a platform. He would have, been, he, he would have had great adulation. But Jesus saw what this was and he said, this is presumption. This is presuming on God. This is saying, God... We're going to do it, but we're going to do it my way. You know, that's a temptation of the devil. If, if, the, the, if there's one song I can't stand, I wrote about it in my coming book on, on the book of James, talking about going God's way in, in one of the areas. And if there's one song, one song I, I, I cannot listen to, it's I Did It My Way by Frank Sinatra. And he does it the best. He does it better than any of the rest. I can't, I can't listen to that. Because it's everything that Jesus isn't. And it's everything that is the devil is. And one of the most painful things I've ever experienced is to hear that at a funeral. I, I was so sorry when I went to this non-Christian funeral many years ago. And they put on the song as we all, as the coffin left, I did it my way. And I thought, my God. And the fear of the Lord came upon me and I thought, this is Awful. I did it my way. That's what you're going to play over your funeral. Horrific. And the devil was saying, hey, do it your way. Do it your way. And God will get on in the act and it all be good. And Jesus said, I'm not going to test God. I'm not going to do it my way. I've come to do the will of my father. There's submission again. And then finally, the devil took him on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and said to him, all these things I'll give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Worldly glory 
and worldly gain. One of the greatest temptations that we can face. The idea that you worship me, you do a deal with me, you do a pact with me, and then you can have whatever you want in the world. And so when the enemy comes to tempt us, we know that it's going to be uh, at some of these areas. It's going to be at the area of misusing what God has given to us for selfish gain. It's going to be presumptuous, where we will shortcut God's destiny for us, it's a great temptation, and go the easy route, the flashy route, or, or we will cut corners, or, or, or we'll do anything to get where we are, but not the way of Calvary of submission. And then the, th- the, the third is just a simple worldly glory, the glitter and gold of what this world has to offer us. And that was a great temptation. The devil said, you know what? All this worldly success and glamour, it's mine. It's my domain. That's where I rule. You want it? You just have to bow down to me and I'll give it to you. So there's a short look at how Jesus was tested. And again, at the root of all these things is the devil's appeal to our pride and our selfishness and to our desire for self-glorification. All the things that caused him to fall. Jesus used the sword of the Spirit. Now, I thought to myself, actually, here's an aside. I was meditating on this, and I was thinking about the name of Satan. And we will spend some time, perhaps it will be next week, looking at Satan and his work of accusation against the believer. Because that's one of his his main attacks on our lives, accusation. And of course, the word Satan means accuser. And where we get the word demon or devil comes from the Greek word diabolos, which is the Greek version of accuser. Satan comes to accuse. He, He comes to say, you're not good enough, you're not accepted, you're not worthy, God can't use you, you can't make it. He's out to pull us down. He's the accuser. And I was thinking about the Holy Spirit and I realized that the Holy Spirit is the exact opposite. Of course, he's God, he's not the exact, but he's the exact opposite to Satan. Because Satan's work is to accuse. But the Holy Spirit's work is to assure. I was thinking about, I've never seen how powerful that was. The Holy Spirit, the first thing he does when you're filled with the Spirit is he comes out of your heart crying, Abba, Father, God's love is poured into heart, and we're going, and He cries out, Abba, and we cry, cries out, Abba, and the Holy Spirit comes with fellowship, assurance, and confidence in our lives. Now, I was thinking on the day of Pentecost, we talk about power came onto those who are in the upper room, and they came out with power, and they preached the gospel with power, and 5,000 people were saved because of the power. It's true, but also it was the assurance. Peter, who suffered from assurance, didn't he? He he gave up Jesus uh, on the night that he was betrayed. He betrayed Jesus too. And and, and he wasn't assured. But when he came out of that upper room filled with the Holy Spirit, he was assured that God was with him. He had confidence to preach the gospel because he had great assurance that the Holy Spirit was was with him. So the Holy Spirit comes to bring to us assurance, 
confidence in God. This isn't about, about going around without confidence. Not confidence in ourselves. That's where the devil will get in. But assurance that God is with us. And the enemy is out to attack our assurance and instead bring accusation. And I thought to myself, where else do we specifically see Satan getting into somebody's lives through temptation? And I thought if we go to Matthew 16, verse 23, the famous bit where Peter... First of all, he has a revelation from God and an assurance from God. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, when Jesus says, who do people say I am? And Jesus says, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. Now, that wasn't just to Peter, that was all the disciples. When he says, I'll give you, it's plural, not singular. I'll give to you, the disciples, the keys of the kingdom. In other words, I'll give to you my authority. And straight away... As soon as Peter's been given that authority, he abuses it. He gets puffed up. Verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed and be raised on the third day. You know, that's not a bad thing to say. He spoke about the suffering. He spoke about the accusations. He spoke about being killed. But he also said on the third day he was going to be raised from the dead. But they missed that because all they could hear was the suffering. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You're trying to trip me up. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. So here, Jesus doesn't just say, oh, this is weak Peter, or earthly Peter, and Peter being carried by his own sinful lusts of not wanting to go through any pain. And uh, he, he, he directly attributes this temptation that Peter has yielded to, and this test that Satan is trying to bring through Peter, he attributes it to Satan. And what, what is the satanic element to this? You are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Straight away we can see, therefore, that one of the tests or temptations that will come from the devil in our lives, specifically, will be for us not to think of the things of God, but to think of the things of men. In other words, to be worldly. To think about worldly. To think about things from the perspective of the world. From the world's mindset. And remember that the mind of the world is in complete contrast to the mind of God. We'll see in James 4 that to be friends with the world is to act as an enemy towards God. And so Peter was thinking with worldly values. He was thinking, you're not going to die, you're going to be king. You're not going to suffer, other people are going to suffer because you're the Messiah and you're going to take back Israel from, from Roman rule. These are the type of thoughts in his mind. And he said, get behind me, Satan. And so one of the ways to stay strong against the enemy is to think like God thinks. The renewal of the mind. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago. Have your mind renewed 
is one of the most powerful acts of spiritual warfare that can take place. To put on the helmet of salvation, to guard your mind, to do what Peter says, gird up the loins of your mind. In other words, not to let loose thoughts trip you up. The idea being that a Roman soldier would have long flowing robes. But when it came to battle time, he would take his robes, he would lift them up and tuck them into his, into his belt. He would gird up the loins of his uh, skirt so that he would be free to wage warfare. And so Peter is saying, gird up the loins of your mind. The loose thoughts that travel down avenues of worldly thinking, well, you'll meet the devil there sooner or later. And then John chapter 13, verse 27. Judas. These are where we have specific reference to demonic interference in people's lives. John 13, 27. Well, let's go to 24. It's the Last Supper time. And Peter, therefore, mentioned to Jesus, mentioned to him, sorry, the beloved disciple, to ask who it was of whom he spoke that would betray him. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, It is to him who I will give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after that piece of bread... Satan entered him, then Jesus said, what you do, do quickly. And we know that what this was was the spirit of betrayal. And that Judas would go out and uh, he would sell the saviour for some pieces of silver. He would sell Jesus out. And here we see that Satan had a direct element in that. Selling Jesus out. You think, I would never sell Jesus out. It's a great test and temptation for us all. And we can sell Jesus out in many different ways. We, 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 we can sell him out in many ways. And the devil is out to make us weak in those areas. Acts chapter 5, verse 3. Ananias Ananias, they lied about this field and some property that they had sold. And they came and they, they lied. Acts 5.3. But Peter said, okay, sorry, let's start from verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias of Sapphira's wife sold the possession. And he kept back part of the proceeds. His wife also being aware of it, had brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back a part of the price of the land for yourself? And uh, when Ananias heard those words, he dropped dead. It was a powerful time of revival. And uh, when revival comes, everything is intensified. God's grace is intensified. But also, God's judgment is also intensified. And what is the picture here? Well, there was lying. And not just lying, we know that the devil is called the father of lies. lies that he is a deceiver. He, this is what he does. He, his power comes in deceptions and lies. But there's more than just this lie. It was what was behind this lie was hypocrisy 
and self-righteousness. Ananias and Sapphira wanted to appear more holy and better than they really were. You know, if they had sold some property and just given part of it as an offering, there wouldn't have been a problem, would they? It would, it would have been fine, that's fine. But it was the fact that they presented themselves to be something that they weren't. We're going back to that position of pride, aren't we? Where we try to pretend to others that we are something that we're not. We try to say, look at us. We have sold as a couple this possession. And now you will see how holy we are, how spiritual we are. And, and this should go down in, Luke, are you writing the book of Acts? This should go down in your book of Acts about the great givers that were outstanding and far better than everybody else. Well, they got into the book of Acts, didn't they? Although they didn't live long enough to read it. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 says, We are not ignorant of the devil's schemes, and uh, that no advantage of Satan shall be uh, taken of us. And if we go to that, now, remember what I've said? We are focusing specifically on demonic elements of temptation. I've already said that you could take the devil away and we'd still be tempted. We'd still be tempted by things because of the flesh that operates in our life. But one of the big things about the temptation of the enemy is, is not giving the devil a foothold in the first place. You see, it is possible for the devil just to come out of nowhere and tempt you. That type of temptation... Uh, people say, how do you know the difference between a demonic temptation and that which is natural within us? Well, I always say it's a little bit like this, that we are tempted by things in our lives uh, because we are human beings. But a demonic temptation is when we're tempted by things that are in our hearts, but a demonic temptation is like a turbo boost upon those things. It's like the devil gets behind it and gives it a big push. I use the illustration of, say, uh, a young child in a playground, and he finds a packet of cigarettes on the floor and some matches, and he picks them up, and he looks at them, and he thinks, oh, I wonder what it'd be like to have one of these cigarettes. They're meant to be bad for you, so they must be good in some way, because I see people smoking them. What's happening? He's tempted, isn't he, to smoke that cigarette, and the temptation is in him. Nothing to do with anybody else. But imagine he picks up those cigarettes and all of a sudden his friends come around. What have you got? Well, I've got some cigarettes and a matches. And they say, go on, smoke one. What, you chicken? What, you afraid? Go on, one won't hurt. What are we talking about now? Peer pressure. Do you know one of the biggest dangers in your teenage years is peer pressure? Psychologists have proved it, and we all know it anyway, that, it, that teenagers will often... Uh, and that, that age group, teenager, is, is the most dangerous, will often do things they would never ever do by themselves because of peer pressure. And they're not yet stable enough to be able, some of them, to, to go against that peer pressure. And so demonic temptation is like peer pressure. It comes on and it gives it a mighty push. And when that happens, it's not just about crucifying the flesh, going to the Holy Spirit and, and saying, wait a second, this isn't who I really am and releasing the grace of God within you, that's a whole other series, but it's rebuking the enemy. In the name of Jesus, Satan, loose your grip to rebuke the enemy. Jesus rebuked the enemy when the enemy was testing him. He said, 
Be gone, Satan, or get behind me, Satan. And so here, in 2 Corinthians 2.11, we see that the devil is scheming. It's not just that he can turbo boost something that you're tempted with. Well, if that happens, and you feel this tremendous power that, that's, that's extraordinary in that temptation area, then not, it's not only the principles of, of loving God and submitting, but rebuke the enemy in the name of Jesus, and he will flee from you. But also, it's how he gets into our areas to tempt us. So, 2 Corinthians 2.11. Oh, I forgot. Do I mean 1 Corinthians 2.11? I think I've got my wrong... All right, I've totally... Where's that passage gone? It's gone right off my mind. Can someone find it and let me know? Um, 2 Corinthians what? 2.11. Oh, yeah, okay. Right, now, we, we quote, lest Satan should take advantage of us, we're not ignorant of his schemes. Now, let's back up and see what his schemes are. It's speaking about someone who's caused grief in verse 5 and has been dealt with. And then now he's saying, restore him, reaffirm him. And he says, verse 10, now, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ, lest Satan should not take advantage of us. So right here we see that forgiveness or un unforgiveness is one of the most powerful entrances in our lives for Satan. And that temptation to remain bitter or to be in unforgiveness is what Paul says, his device. It's a device. So the temptation to be bitter, the temptation not to forgive, that is a massive, not only is it something that's going on in the heart, but that is a massive, massive invitation for the enemy to get into our lives. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27. Well, let's go for 25. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Or in some versions, don't give the devil a foothold. Now, the word for foothold or place is the Greek word topos, from which we get the phrase topography, which is the, the study of um, contours and land and maps and, and, and everything like that. It's the study of, of, of physical geographical space. And so what Paul is saying is don't give the devil a base camp of operations in your life. And how does this come? It comes through temptation and yielding to temptation. You can read the whole uh, of chapter 4 and chapter 5 to see the context. He says in verse 17 of chapter 4, don't walk any longer as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. So, and then after verse 26, don't give the devil a foothold. And verse 27, he says, don't steal any longer. Um, 
Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Verse 31, here we go. Bitterness. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you. And then we can go to chapter 5. It's continuing. Fornication, uncleanliness, filthiness, foolish talking, coarse jesting. I don't need to go through everything here. I just want to let you know that these are the specific areas of temptation that let the enemy in. There may be other tests and temptations that we face, but what, what he's saying is these are temptations that are specific to the demonic powers that are trying to get a foothold in your life. The temptation to stay bitter, the temptation for evil, evil gossiping, the temptation for unclean cleanliness, the temptation for uh, speaking malice, the temptation for, for anger not being resolved. All these things are opportunities for the devil to get in and to get a hold, to, to get a foothold to get a base camp of operations in our lives. And we could go into that in depth. I'm just highlighting how the devil tempts us and how he tries to get in our lives. And knowledge is power. If we understand next time we're angry with our husband or wife or friends and we're going to bed angry and refusing to talk to them, be careful. It's not just you're angry and you're refusing. You're going to bed angry... And that is an opportunity for the devil to get in and magnify what's already going on there. Finally, James chapter 4 and verse 7, as we finish today. These passages are all specifically speaking about the devil. That's why I'm focusing in on them today. I'm saying, well, where are we specifically seeing the name of Satan or the devil or his entrance in people's lives, in attacking Jesus and also in the scriptures because that's where he's going to come at us. And if we know where the enemy's coming, we'll be ready when he arrives. James chapter 4 and verse 7. Therefore, submit to God. See, that whole theme of submission rather than assertion. When you're asserting yourself against God, asserting yourself over people, the devil's not far away. <laughs> you're going to resist the devil in your pride. Some people are quite proud in the way that they treat the devil. Ah, oh, the devil's under my foot, really? You better be careful he doesn't climb up your leg. <laughs> devil's in. And there's, there's a lot of arrogance out there in people marching along, kicking the devil, seeing his backside and all the... Be careful. Be, it's, it's not necessary to boast and revile against the devil. Um, he's not some weak, insipid creature. You look out the world today, he's doing a pretty good job. He's doing a pretty good job out there in the world, destroying. He's doing a pretty good job in the church too, isn't he, generally speaking? So uh, we hate the devil. He's the only person you're allowed to hate. We hate the devil and he hates us. It's war, but we're, we're not going to fool ourselves. We're going to deal with him, but we're not going to make a fuss about him one way or the other. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Well, again, that's in a context. I haven't got time to go into it in detail. If you're interested in these things, you can follow up. But 
The whole, the whole thing about chapter 4 in James, well, I have in my NIV study Bible, it's got its own little title. It says, Pride Promotes Strife. Oh, that's interesting. So we're going to be dealing with the devil and pride is here again. Where do wars, chapter, chapter 4, 1, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and you cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you don't ask. And you, when you ask, you don't receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is enemy with God? Whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you not think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? It's amazing how many times that when we look at the devil's work, we see the spirit in opposition. So the moment the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus, falls upon Jesus, he's put out to deal with the devil. We already said that Ephesians 4, it says, don't give the devil a foothold. And a few verses later, it says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. We're talking about making a landing place for the enemy here in pride and strife and anger. And it says, and it says don't you know the Holy Spirit is earnestly desiring you? If you go to Galatians chapter 6, you see the, the works of the flesh, which is where Satan operates, and the fruit of the Spirit. And the works of the flesh war against the, work, the fruit of the Spirit. And the Spirit is against the flesh. And the flesh is against the... There is a war. And your greatest weapon against Satan is the Holy Spirit. I said earlier, the first session I did, I said, the greatest spiritual warfare prayer that you can pray over your life is come Holy Spirit. He's the key. He'll teach you. He'll guard you. And so... Here it says, all these things are taking place. Therefore, submit to God, then resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The devil's, one of the devil's names is Beelzebul. And that means Lord of the dung heap. Or, or Lord of the dirt heap. And, or, that's where we get the phrase Lord of the flies. Because that's where flies operate. And in spiritual warfare and temptation and, and the enemy's activities is very important. You'll notice today, I haven't really been focusing on the devil, have I? I've been focusing more on our lives and where the devil can get in. And that's a big difference to a lot of teaching on spiritual warfare. I've read books on spiritual warfare. Hardly any of it talks about your own heart, submitting to God, watching pride, being careful about anger, making sure you forgive. Hardly any of these things are in some of these demon books. It's all about, you know, speaking this against the devil, doing that against the devil, spirit, spiritual warfare against the devil. The devil's laughing because if your life is a dung heap, you won't be able to keep the flies away. You won't be able, what are you going to do? Shoo, shoo, shoo. You know, if you've got flies and problems in a dirty kitchen, it's not enough just to shoo the flies away, is it? What do you got to do? Got to clean the kitchen. If you've got flies congregating around a dead carcass in a field or something, it's not enough just to shoo the flies away. What you got to do? You got to bury the dead animal, don't you? And so spiritual warfare 
is more about God's work in our lives than going around in the heavenly realms, binding and loosing. Now, there may be a, a, a place for that, but I'm telling you, you're binding and loosing, what you should be doing is getting your heart like Jesus. Because de- Jesus said, the, the prince of this world got nothing in me. No foothold, nothing, can't touch me, can try and test me, but can't get inside. God wants to raise up a generation of, of Christians that are impervious to the devil. Is that the right phrase, impervious? Imper- the devil can't get in. The gates are shut. Short accounts kept with God and one another. The devil hates the blood of Jesus because it cleanses us from every sin. And where the blood of Jesus, and I'm speaking on that tonight, is where the blood of Jesus is, there comes the assurance and power of the Holy Spirit. He hates love amongst the brethren because he can't get in. We're too busy forgiving one another, being patient with one another, being faithful to one another, caring for one another, watching over one another. He can't penetrate where the fruit of the Spirit is strong in a community. Can't get in. But where the works of the flesh is, there's his kingdom. So as we finish today, I've just given you some thoughts. You can go and read these scriptures at at your leisure. But our focus is not on Satan. Our focus is on the work of the Holy Spirit and the work of God's love in our hearts, purifying and changing us. And we find that the stronger we are in love and the love of God and in God, that the more powerful spiritual warfare we can do. And we'll see the backside of the devil if we love our neighbor. Amen? God bless you. Have a wonderful week.